0: Amen. It is good to see you. Thanks, Tim, for leading. We appreciate you doing that for us. And I'm so grateful that we have this opportunity to be together. And, uh, you know, it's still kind of weird, isn't it? It's weird to walk in and think, I think I know you, and yet I see you in a mask, and maybe I don't know you. And I was very appreciative this week because. The North American Mission Board sent out some masks, and it's actually the most comfortable mask that I have, and very appropriately, it says, send relief on it, which I thought was great, like, send us some relief, Lord. Uh, that's one of the, the missions of the North American Mission Board, is that they're, they're working with some relief opportunities as, as they have that, and let's just take a moment and kind of welcome all the kids who are in here this morning. Give them a hand. Sit them through. I mean, that's a big deal. Uh, and you know, I, I got asked this by a parent a couple of weeks ago. They said, you know, was my kid terrible? And I said, man, I don't even notice what they're doing. They're doing great. And, uh, just appreciate y'all being in here and appreciate you watching every week by live stream at home as well. Uh, and just grateful for that. Uh, I was thinking about how our lives have changed uh, again, just with some of the things that we have in front of us. You know, one of the things I don't know if you've done, have y'all done grocery pickup? I mean, that's kind of nice, right? Grocery pickup's great. You put your little order in and they send you a little text and they tell you when you can come pick up your groceries and all those kinds of things. And it's really nice if it's raining, right? You pull up and they get soaked and load the groceries in your car while you sit in the air conditioning and and stay nice and, and dry and all that's pretty nice, right? And and it's kind of neat too because if you notice, like if they if they don't have something that you need, they substitute for it, right? They, if you 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 know you wanted something and they don't have it, they'll substitute. And at least my experience has been is that the substitution is free, and they normally try to give you something that's a little bit better, maybe than what you were going to order, trying to get you to buy that the next time that they come, which is pretty cool. And you get to try some new things, and you know some substitutions are okay, right? I mean, like I got to be honest with you, if I go to the grocery store and i wanted jiff peanut butter and they give me peter pan i mean yeah big deal who cares you know i don't i don't mind uh, that's okay or if i wanted this granola bar and they give me another granola bar honestly it doesn't matter but if i put coke and you give me pepsi we have a problem even worse if i said dr pepper and you try to pass off mr Pibb, coca-cola has been trying to do that for years to act like mr Pibb is dr pepper it's not it's junk it's terrible not the same. If you like Dr. Pepper, you know what I'm talking about, you know? It's just a totally different thing. And and some substitutions are okay, but others aren't. And and, and that kind of increases kind of the the stakes for us, doesn't it, as the value of whatever you're trying to substitute goes up, right? You know, I one time had the opportunity to buy some knockoff sunglasses when I was overseas. And they kind of passed the 10-foot test like you wouldn't have noticed that they were different. But you know, when I put them on my head, they didn't exactly fit right. They kind of sat crooked, you know, and that kind of thing. And and the lenses weren't as good. And so, you know, when you're out in the sun, you know, you thought you had these polarized lenses and you came inside and saw black spots the rest of the day. And it was like, eh, it's like, that's because I bought $10 sunglasses that were passed off as $100 sunglasses. Might even be worse. Have any of you ever had the experience of Having your insurance company give you a substitution for your medicine, that's really great, isn't it? This medicine is working perfectly, and now it's no longer covered by my insurance company. Now, if we substitute the wrong medicine, you're dead, right? I mean, so it could get really interesting depending on what we're substituting. It makes a big difference, and, and how you go through that can make a big difference for our lives. Well, we're going to read today about a substitute that didn't work and a substitute that did work, when we read out of Hebrews chapter 11. If you have your Bibles today, turn to Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to continue studying uh, the life of Abraham this morning. And we're going to see how in his life, he really lived with the consequences of a substitute that did not work. It just didn't work. It was bad, bad, bad. And how he also lived with the joy of a substitute that did work in his life, and it's the same for us. And we have a lesson that we can learn from that because a lot of times we try to make substitutions in our walk with the Lord. And when we do that, they don't work. But there is one substitution that God makes for us that's incredible, and we'll see that today. Now, I do wanna tell you this as we're getting started. We're reading Hebrews chapter 11 again, and we're gonna be in verse 17. But I want you to keep your Bibles open because we're actually gonna spend a lot of time in the Old Testament today, and the reason is... Is because what we read from Hebrews chapter 11, we have to understand this. The writer of Hebrews was writing to a Jewish audience. So he's taking for granted that they know all of this story, right? So we're actually going to go back into the Old Testament and kind of fill in the gaps because it may be that we have a part of this story that's just missing for us, but it's very important for us to see. So let's read this together. Hebrews 11, and we're going to read verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promises, and yet he was offering his one and only son, The one to whom it had been said your offspring will be traced through Isaac. He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. The author of Hebrews tells us that Abraham walked right into a test of faith. Now, if we were to understand this test of faith and, and kind of what had happened, we've got to go back to Genesis. So take your Bible and make a left turn there, all the way back to the first book of the Bible. And let's start in Genesis chapter 16. And we're going to fill in some of these gaps kind of leading up to this. You remember that last week, we talked about Abraham's life and how he left immediately when God told him to leave and he was gonna gonna receive the promises of God that he was offered up these things in faith and had to trust the Lord in faith and that's what we're looking at is how our life lives in faith and here's something we can't miss is that the life of faith is always tested in faith. The life of faith is always tested in faith. You will never have faith that isn't tested, and if you're a believer this morning, you ought to expect it, you ought to look for it, and you ought to be ready to walk through it, and Abraham certainly had to do that. When we go to Genesis chapter 16, we see the backstory of this, and it's 16 and verse one, because what we're going to see here is that at the time of Genesis 16, Abraham is about 85 years old. Last week, we read that when God gave him these promises, he was 75 years old, so here's what you need to think about. He's 10 years beyond the promise, and yet he still doesn't have a son. Have you ever waited on God for 10 years? That's a long time. I mean, a decade's a long time. Let's just ask our kids this question. Are any of our kids in here under 10 years old? If you're under 10 years old, would you raise your hand? Anybody, think about that. 10 years is a long time, isn't it? It's a long time to wait. But let's read what happens when Abraham kind of got tired of waiting. Verse six, or Chapter 16, verse 1, Abram's wife, Sarai, had not borne any children for him, but she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Sarai said to Abram, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave. Perhaps through her, I can build a family. And Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. So Abram's wife, Sarah, took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband, Abraham, as a wife for him. This happened after Abram had lived in the land of Cain in 10 years. He slept with Hagar and she became pregnant. So, what we see in verse 1 is that there's this surrogate thing happening where Sarai says, "Look, I'm tired of waiting." So, very customary to what was going on in the world at the time. She says, "I have this slave. I want you to have a child for me through her. We're going to build our family that way." Now, first thing that we should notice about that is that they had gotten tired of waiting, but God wasn't finished working. They were tired of waiting, but God wasn't finished Working yet. Now, 10 years, again, that's a long time to be waiting. It feels like a long time when you're the person waiting on God to do that. And 10 years seems like it, it must be like, well, God's forgotten about us over here. They were tired of waiting, but God wasn't finished working. And so they did what the culture around them did. Now, if we were to go back to the beginning of Genesis, we understand that God gave marriage to be between one man one woman for the rest of their lives. He had no provision for expanding your family through surrogates like this and taking extra wives. And by the way, sometimes people say, well, in the Old Testament, they did that all the time. Yes, they did that all the time, always outside the will of God. And here's what we understand about it. It never worked out well. There were always problems with it. Every time you see it, there's jealousy and envy and problems between the families because they're not just one family. It it seems like we're just one big happy family. It doesn't work that way. And that's exactly what starts happening here. They weren't satisfied with God's plan, so what did they do? God hasn't given me a child, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna substitute We know that we're supposed to have a child. We know that we're supposed to have this lineage of the kingdom out in front of us. So we're going to substitute this, enter my slave, and let's just get on with this. And you notice what Sarah said. She said something. She said, God has prevented me from having children. That wasn't true. God had promised that she was going to have a child. She had seen the the waiting to be God's prevention, and yet God's promise had been that he was going to have a child through Sarah, his wife. And so this idea that God wasn't finished working, but they were finished waiting, it takes us back to to something I always think about in the New Testament. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 says this, "You know that he who began a good work in us is faithful to complete that work until the day of Christ Jesus. When you got saved, God hasn't stopped finished working on you, he hasn't stopped finished working on me, he keeps doing that all the way through, until the day of Christ Jesus when the Lord returns, and a lot of times we just get sick of waiting, we're tired of it. And you know how it is, right? It's that thing in your life, if we could kind of go back to this idea of a substitute in our lives. I had a friend who used to tell me this all the time, he'd say, you buy once, you cry once, man. Buy once, cry once, and what did he mean? He says, you know, there's like this thing that you really want that's like, let's say it's $100, but you only have 50. So you buy the cheap substitute only to discover that the substitute isn't really what you wanted So you paid $50 for that, and then you end up spending another $100 to get the thing that you really wanted. And his whole thing was buy once, cry once. Spend what you need to and cry and get it over with. Don't buy the cheap thing hoping that it's going to work out. It just doesn't. But if we were to read a little bit further in this chapter, we'll see what happens here when you don't wait on the Lord. Let's read verse 4 a little bit further in this through 6. It says that Sarah, when she saw she was pregnant... I'm sorry, Hagar, when she saw she was pregnant, her mistress became contemptible to her. Uh Uh-oh, what's happening here? I mean, who couldn't see this coming? This was such a bad idea. Then Sarai said to Abraham, you're responsible for my suffering. I put my slave in your arms and when she saw she was pregnant, I became contemptible to her. May the Lord judge between me and you. I love that one, right? Abraham, this is all your fault, right? Isn't that why we get married just to have somebody to blame something else on? Right? This is your fault. No, this is your fault. This is your fault. That's what she says. It's your fault. Let the Lord judge between us. And Abram said to Sarai, Here's your slave in your power. Do whatever you want with her. And Sarai mistreated her so much that she ran away. I mean, there's a problem from the very beginning. I mean, this is what's going on. It's over and over. There are these these consequences that happen when we make substitutions. It never works out. And they were trying to get ahead of God's plan and because they ran ahead of God's plan in this, now there's friction in the home. It's not working out. This great plan to just enter in a relationship with someone else, it's not working out. But God was still faithful. Faithful. And if we were just to turn a couple of chapters over to chapter 17 or one chapter over to chapter 17 and you read chapter 17, verse 17, look what God did. God confirmed to Abram again, that he was going to have a son through Sarah. In verse 17, it says, Abraham fell down and he laughed and said to himself, can a child be born to a 100-year-old man? Can Sarah, a 90-year-old woman, give birth? So Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael were acceptable to you. That's the son he had with Hagar. He's saying, look, I've already got a son and I know you've got this promise coming, but why do we have to do it this way? Great question. Why do we have to do it your way, God? Why do we have to go through this? Can't you accept the substitute. Can't you accept my son? And the Lord said, no, this is important. Not going to happen through Ishmael. Later in chapter one, we see, I mean, chapter 21, we see that God promises two nations to Abram. He says, Ishmael is going to be okay. He's going to be blessed. I'm going to walk with him. Even though you messed this up, my blessing will be on Ishmael's life and he's gonna have 12 tribes. It's gonna be okay with Ishmael. And he says, but the promise will come through Isaac. It's going to be traced through Isaac. Now, if we were just to stop for just a moment, could we just take a time out and talk about the long lasting consequences of what happened here? I want you to see something. Two nations were born, a Jewish nation and what would later become the nation of what? Islam constant friction constant feuding right now here's something that we shouldn't miss though we say well I mean god look what god allowed to happen and look what god did it wasn't ishmael it was the descendants of ishmael who walked away from the blessing of the lord and you know why they did that why would they do that the same reason that you do it and the same reason that i do it because the scripture says we all like sheep have gone astray every one of us has turned aside to go after our own way that's what human nature does human nature always runs to the substitute a substitute god a substitute idol human nature always seeks to control what it can and what we see here is the outworking of these things are constant conflict for the rest of our lives really here's the thing as believers when you try to substitute something that God has said in His Word for something that's a cheap substitute, it never works out. We see people do this all the time. I'm tired of waiting on a Christian mate. I'm just going to marry somebody, even though the Scripture says don't be unequally yoked. I mean, it just it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that they're not a believer. I'm, I'm gonna go against what God says. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna have this, this substitute in my life or I'm gonna set up my family to be very different than what the Bible says. I, I don't need the Bible to tell me how to run my family, do you? Do you really? I mean, is that one of those things that you might look to the Lord, the author of mankind, the author of marriage? Should we look to him and define our marriages by that or by what the culture says? Should we offer these cheap substitutes? Because every time we do, there's a lasting consequence for it. Anytime we substitute our morals for God's morals, there's there's nothing good that's gonna come out of that. Anytime we worship something besides the one true and living God, there's nothing good that comes out of that. Listen to me. It's an overarching principle for your life. When you try to substitute something for what God has said, it's wrong. It's sin. It will never work out. It won't happen. You can't substitute something and make it almost good enough. You've heard me say this before, but I'll say it again. I'll never forget this line from a song that a friend of mine introduced me to. The guy's not not even a believer, I don't think. And he said this, you can get what's second best, but it's hard to get enough. That's true in our lives. You can get what's second best, but it's never enough for it to fill up what you need in your life. So when you have the opportunity to look at God's word and he speaks to something and you say, yeah, but I don't really think that God was serious. He was only serious enough that he wrote his word, preserved it for thousands of years and put it in your lap. But not serious at all. He was probably just joking. It was probably just a suggestion, right? No, this is God's word. When God speaks, his word remains true forever. The word of the Lord endures forever. And so when God speaks, we obey that. Because to substitute anything less is always going to lead in our hardship, ruin, and disaster. But Abraham did get one substitute right. Look at Genesis twenty. And let's read this, verse one through six. There's this story about Isaac, his son, that we were just reading about in Hebrews chapter 11. And this is the backstory to that. This is that that piece of that that you need to see. In chapter 22 and verse one, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, what were these things? These are the things that have happened. His son has been born, the son of promise, and they're living in the land. And Abraham answers him and says, here I am. And God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there's a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took him, uh, two of his young men, and his son, Isaac, and he split wood for a burnt offering and set out to go to the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, "'Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship, then we'll come back to you.'" Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. In his hand, he took the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked on together. So a couple of things that are going on right here. Ishmael's gone. Isaac is all he has. And here the Lord says, go over here and sacrifice your son, your one and only son. Why does he call him that? He obviously has another son because it's the son of the promise. This is the son that is recognized by God for the promise. Now, I don't know about you, but it seems to me that if Abraham obeys the Lord in this, the promise goes empty. It falls flat, right? Because this is the son of promise. So what's God doing? If Abraham obeys the Lord, it seems like it's over. The son of promise is dead. The promise stops there. And, And I just have to say this. You have to know that old Isaac had a couple of questions. We read about it a little bit later. Isaac starts looking around at his dad and he's like, uh, hey, we've got the wood. I see that you have the fire. That is a big knife. Where's the animal, dad? And Abraham says, the Lord will provide. And they travel on to this place. And then Abraham does what we imagine to be unthinkable. Maybe he has to bind his son and place him on the altar. Or maybe Isaac goes willingly and Abraham takes the knife and he's about to slay his son. And at that moment, the angel of the Lord says, stop. His faith had been tested and proved. Now, one of the things that's interesting about that, if I could get the guys to throw this back up on the screen from Hebrews chapter 11 and uh, verse 19, we get a little bit of insight into this that we don't get into uh, from the Old Testament. Could you guys put that back up there? It says that he considered God to be able to even to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. Right at that moment, as he's about to slay his son, The Bible in Hebrews is telling us that Abraham believed in his heart that even if he went through with this, God would raise his son from the dead. That's how much his faith was on display. And right at that moment, he looks over when the angel says, Stop. And there's a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And they take the ram and they sacrifice it as a substitute. It's a substitute. The substitute in the past wasn't good when Abraham tried to run ahead of God's plan, but in this case, God provided for himself a substitute. And Abraham is able to to do exactly what he told his young men he was going to do. The boy and I are going to worship, and then we're coming back. What What a display of faith. We see that in the Old Testament, this display, and that points us to the New Testament. When Jesus died on the cross, he died in your place. It's a term that theologians call the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. Substitutionary atonement. If we break that down, a couple of words are important for us to see. Substitutionary, right? That's simple enough. He died in my place. When Jesus died on the cross, that's the substitution that we're looking for. All of the other ones that we could substitute are no good, but in that case, that's a great thing that it happened for us because Jesus died in our place. He took the sins of the world on his shoulders and he died in our place. And this idea of atonement, the wrath of God satisfied. So Jesus is our substitute to take the wrath of God in our place, right? That, that's how this works. And if you think about it, there's this moment on the cross when all of the sins of the world are placed on Jesus. And you remember that Jesus cries out and he says, my God, my God, Why have you forsaken me? This moment when darkness falls upon the earth and Jesus passes away, paying the penalty for our sins. He had lived this perfect life for our imperfect life. He gives the perfect life for our imperfect life. And he dies in our place, taking all of the wrath of God, all of the punishment of God that should have been ours and it's placed on him. Praise the Lord. That's the atonement. That's the substitute that we're looking for. And and if we understand this, what we begin to see is at the cross, God's uh, grace is displayed for us. At at the cross, God's mercy is displayed for us. Because at the cross, God's wrath is displayed for us. And at the cross, Jesus' love was displayed for us. That's all for us in the substitutionary atonement when Jesus dies in our place. So Abraham received his son back Figuratively, what does the Bible mean when it says that? It means that Isaac obviously didn't die, he, he wasn't dead, but he was as good as dead, right? Because here's the moment he's tied up on the altar, and Abraham is about to take his life. I mean, he's good as dead, and he received him back figuratively. Here's what happens when Jesus dies in our place we receive our life back truthfully, not figuratively. You know, when we baptize a person, we say that they are buried with him in baptism, signifying their death, raised to walk in a new life, and they walk out on the other side, right? That's what you get at the cross, Jesus, as your substitute, dies in your place. He dies in my place. And so that's very important for us to see that all the substitutions that we could make in our life with Christ, with our walk with the Lord, they'll always end up flat, but the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ, that's the substitution that we want. That's the substitution that we're looking for. And so I wanna say it to you this morning. If you've never given your life to Christ, you need to look to the cross of Jesus Christ, seeing his grace, mercy, the wrath of God displayed and the love of Christ displayed for you and receive receive the forgiveness of your sins. The Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouths Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead we will be saved. Now here's what that means. It means that God placed all of the wrath that should have been ours on him and he died in our place. He died in your place. Because of that, you can be saved today. Because of that, you can walk in relationship with the Lord today. The Bible tells us that we have a sin problem and that our sin separates us from the Lord, that we can't get to him. But Jesus died in our place, making the path clear, making the bridge for us to cross the chasm that was fixed, that we could not get from ourselves to the Lord. Jesus died in our place. And if you've ever seen this kind of drawn out, it's like the cross is the bridge for us, isn't it? The cross is the bridge that allows us to walk in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we give our lives to Christ, repenting of our sins, looking at Jesus as our substitute, the scripture says that we can be saved and walk in new life, that we never have to die. Now, you understand what I mean by that, I hope. We're all going to die. It's what happens after we die. Second death or second life. Second death or second life. You have this this time to choose is now, to look to the cross and place your faith in Jesus Christ. See, that's what Abraham was doing. He gives us this picture perfectly. I'm willing to follow you no matter what. Do you remember last week we talked about how as God spoke to Abraham, he immediately left everything that he had? We see that obedience on display again today, don't we? God tells him, take your son and sacrifice it. What does it say? The next morning they got up, loaded up and took off. He's never waiting. His faith is never wavering in what God is telling him to do. He's going to walk in faith. And that for us is what we have to do. And I'm telling you right now, the time for faith is so important. We need faith like we've never needed it before. Not only in our country, because our country is ripping apart at the seams. And why are they doing it? Because they have no faith in Christ. They have no peace. They they don't understand it. And and you have to understand this. You can protest, you can burn down buildings. It's never going to satisfy that yearning and that churning in your life that only Jesus can fill. He's the only way we can have peace. You can't have it any other way. And yet God has given us this substitute. So here's what we say about this. There are no substitutes for what God has said for us to do. Can I talk to you just for a second about that as a believer? If you have children, especially this is important for you to model for them, there are no substitutes. There's no way that you can look at the scripture and just read through that and say, well, yes, we think going to church is important. That's important. We think singing the songs is important. But you know, we kind of disregard the scripture here, here, here and here. We know God says that, but we don't think he really meant it. We know God said that, but for us, you know, in the days that we're living in, in modern times, we just don't, we don't do that. You know what that's very similar to doing? That's very similar to living the life that Abraham and Sarah lived. Uh, We know that God has said that there's going to be this child of promise, but we're going to adopt the cultural ways around us. We're not waiting on this anymore. Just take my servant to be your wife. I mean, just everyone else is doing it. It will be just fine. And besides, if God was serious about this, surely he wouldn't have waited around 10 whole years. I mean, 10 years is a long time. Jesus is coming back. We've been waiting for 2,000 plus years now. But he's coming back. All of the promises are true for us. They're yes in Christ Jesus. And for those of us who are in Christ, to look at the scripture where God says walk here and we say, yeah, but, and we substitute something, it never works. It won't work for you It never worked for anyone in the scripture. And that's why the scripture never tries to gloss over these things as if they're just no big deal and try to hide them from us. We see these people's lives on full display. They're real people just like us with real issues, waiting on real promises, tired of waiting, just like you get tired of waiting, wanting God to speak and waiting for him to move. And the thing that we have to do is realize we can never substitute for anything that God has said in his word. And yet, Today, we look to the one substitute and we praise him. I love that last song that we sang this morning. I believe you are the way, the truth, the life. I love it. I love it. I love it because it says that when we have fears and doubts and all those things, they get to come with us. You know, isn't that good? Don't you come with some fears and doubts this morning? You ever had any of those? Right, can we just be honest? Some of y'all didn't say amen, that was pitiful. Sitting back there like you, holy, like I've never had any. I've got it all figured out, pastor. No, you don't. We all have fears and doubts, don't we? We all wonder what tomorrow's gonna be like. We wonder what next year's gonna be like. We're wondering what school's gonna be like. We're wondering what the pandemic's gonna be. All that happens, and here's the thing. We get to bring all of that with us, and I love that the song says, they don't get to stay long, though, because when we start to worship the one who was our substitute, when we lift up his name, all of a sudden, it gets really clear for us, doesn't it? All of a sudden, we get fixed on the cross. We get fixed on the resurrection. We get fixed on these things that don't change in our lives. And it really doesn't matter what happens today because our substitute took away the greatest problem we had and that was our sin and the consequence of our sin. We praise him for it. And I wanna just say, if you've never given your life to Christ, let today be the day. Know that he has loved you with an everlasting love and given his life for you, so that you could have a relationship with the Father, through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you can walk in peace and joy with Christ. Substitutions are bad unless it's the substitute. Let's live our lives this week thankful for the substitute that we have in Christ and how he's given us everything. Would you bow with me for prayer? Heavenly Father, we come before you now and no doubt in our lives, there are probably some things that if we're being really honest today, we found ourselves doing exactly what Abraham and Sarah did. Tired of waiting, even though you weren't finished working, we just ran ahead of you and tried to do what we wanted to do. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us when we've walked away from the promises. Forgive us when we've tried to fill up our lives with second best, second choice things. God, we pray today that, that you would help us to look to our true substitute, Christ. Lord, help us to live with the eyes of faith right now, knowing that though we lose our life, we'll receive it back. Lord, because you've given us eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. We thank you that at the cross, your mercy was displayed towards us, that your wrath displayed on Jesus, Lord, not on us, showed us the love that you have for us. And we pray for the person today who doesn't know you. Father, I pray for the one who's in the room or who's listening by live stream, who's never given their life to you. Father, they've been trying to live a life of substitutions, not realizing that you were the substitute. You died in our place. Father, we pray that you would draw them to salvation this morning and that their faith would find its resting place in Jesus Christ. And we ask this in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.